This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you a happy Halloween. Hey, Kelly, it's Halloween. Wait, what? It is? Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) It's like our supreme holiday. Absolutely. Happy Halloween to all of the listeners. And thank you for joining us on this, our 10th Halloween special. It's very exciting. It's totally exciting. And Kelly, you know, we like to do a theme around our Halloween episodes. Yes, we do. What is one of those things out there that is pretty scary to a lot of people. For some people, it's not as scary, but for a lot of people, it can be scary. Does that give anybody a clue? Oh, clowns. Oh, those awful, awful clowns. They can be pretty downright creepy, don't you think? They're one of my favorite characters to play on Halloween because they are so creepy. Now, I was going to ask you, have you ever dressed up as a clown for Halloween? Um... Knock those memory banks around. I know. <laughs> I know you've done it while we've been together because we did it together two Halloweens ago. Right. You were you were a demented ringmaster. However, you were not quite the clown, although you had clownish makeup on. I did have clownish makeup on, <laughs> but you were definitely a sadistic clown. I was indeed. <laughs> and for our executive producers, they all got magnets of that. This is true. And yes, I dressed up as a clown multiple times when I was younger. And then our sons, well, primarily Jared, have some very demented clown masks that are amazing. And so every Halloween, when we would do it up scary, scary, they would always wear those. Oh, and stick around until after we get done with the main part of the show, because we have our listener Jared shared some really interesting experiences that he's had. We'll share those at the end of this episode. All right, everybody, grab your candy bowls. Oh, gals, I have a secret haunted tunnel for you to check out. Just squeeze right in here. Okay, Mort. Kind of a tight squeeze. It's a very tight squeeze. Hold your breath so we can kind of get in here, Kelly. (gasps) Wait. Mort, what are you doing over there? Why do you have uh, a torch? What are you lighting? I hear sizzling. Uh, Kelly, you don't think this is a... Human cannonball? (laughs) (laughs) Happy Halloween, everybody. Yes, it's Halloween. Welcome to our carnival. Oh, I see what you did there. Yes. 
step right up and test your degree of cholerophobia, or fear of clowns. Clowning is an ancient performing art dating back to the 24th century BC. Every culture, whether it's a tribe of indigenous people, a medieval kingdom, or modern-day circus has had some version of clowning. Clowns have played significant roles in society, bringing humor and laughter, but also bringing fear. It's that last piece that makes clowns the perfect subject for a Halloween episode. Join us as we explore the history and creeps of clowning. Kelly, is there a specific clown when you think about your childhood that scared you? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that I posted up on Instagram getting ready to do this episode, a picture of the clown from Poltergeist. That one, I think, really sealed the deal for me as being the most terrifying clown out there. (laughs) Well, I can see why that would, would take place. The beginning formulation of the clown took place, as best as historians can guess, sometime during the 24th century BC in Egypt. Throughout the centuries, people have taken on the role of the court jester, public jokester, and entertaining mime. Clowns have been able to use their humor to hit at off-limits subjects like the monarchy, politics, religion, and such. The clowns of yore have become the comedians of the comedy clubs today. But beneath all the fun lies sadness and terror. French literary critic Edmond de Congort wrote of clowns in 1876, The clown's art is now rather terrifying and full of anxiety and apprehension. Their suicidal feats, their monstrous gesticulations, and frenzied mimicry, reminding one of the courtyard of a lunatic asylum. It's no wonder that clowns have become a popular horror theme. So let's look at a brief history of clowns working our way from early performers to the terrifying clowns of cinema that haunt our dreams today. Pierrot is a clown character of French origin. The standard look was a large white blouse with large buttons and wide white pantaloons. The face was mainly painted white with facial features that were sad. His first appearances were in the 1600s, but it wouldn't be until the early 18th century that he would come into his own. Through the years, many societal movements have used him as a representation of their cause. David Bowie himself once said, I'm Pierrot. I'm every man. Jean Gaspard de Barreau was one of the most famous Pierrots. He took on the character in a small Paris theater in 1816 and performed him as a Bohemian French mime. He performed as the clown until his death in 1846. De Barreau would become our first killer clown. In 1836, a young boy taunted him on the streets, and Debaru hit him with his cane and killed him. He was later acquitted. I don't know all the specifics around that, so I'm assuming they thought it was more of an accident, that he didn't mean to kill the kid or something. Because I'm like, how do you hit a kid upside the head with a cane? And they're like, well, we'll just acquit you. Well, probably did not have malicious intent, I'm supposing. I guess, but he's a little kid taunting you. Just leave it alone. Our next clown you guys heard about earlier this month, and this was in our Haunted Cemeteries 27, Joseph Grimaldi. He is the godfather of clowning as he is the one to have created the rendition of the clown we all know. Grimaldi was born in 1778 to Italian parents and spent his life entertaining people, starting at the age of two. 
He was one of the most popular actors at the Drury Lane Theater and Sadler's Wells. In 1806, Grimaldi created the classic clown we know today with painted on eyebrows, red lips, and cheeks, and he wore oversized and colorful clothes. He was declared the king of clowns and perfected the pantomime clown. Grimaldi retired in 1823 due to declining health. He did a lot of pratfalls and tumbling and all that stuff, and it just really damaged his body. And so he was pretty broken when he decided to retire. And he quickly fell into debt and began drinking heavily before he passed in 1837. Tom Belling was an American acrobat who developed what is known as the Red Clown or August Clown in 1870. August Clowns were more playful than earlier clowns with more expressive makeup. This is when the big red nose came into play. Each clown would choose their own look, and in more modern times, their look is registered. During the mid-1800s, Dan Rice was the circus's most famous clown. Rice had joined the circus in the 1840s, and his comedic performances earned him the title of the Great American Humorist. He did not employ much physical comedy, which is what clowns later became known for, but his sexual allusions, jokes, and ad-libs had audiences in stitches. Oh, my. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) The costume he wore was a red and white striped suit with a top hat, and then he had chin whiskers, but no clown makeup. He called himself Uncle Sam, and yes, that is where the idea for Uncle Sam came from. Rice eventually died in obscurity in 1900, even though he had once been so famous, and was also more than likely the model for Mark Twain's clown in the book Huckleberry Finn. Always blows my mind when these people die in obscurity, especially if you think that this character that he created, Uncle Sam, everybody knows today. Right. One of the most highly paid entertainers in Europe was once a Swiss clown named Grok. Grok was born as Charles Adrian Weddock in 1880. He ran away with a traveling circus and eventually, after creating Grok, moved his act into music halls. His acts became a mixture of pantomime and musical blunders, and he eventually performed throughout Europe and the United States. Grok wore the makeup of an August clown and oversized clothes. He died in Italy in 1959 at the age of 79. Emmett Kelly was the hobo clown and known by the name Weary Willie. He played a sad clown with a big bulbous nose and face paint that gave him a mournful mouth surrounded by a five o'clock shadow. He wore tattered clothes and floppy shoes. And we saw his likeness in a cutout as well as details about his life at the Ringling Brothers Museum in Florida. We sure did down there in Sarasota. Yes. We actually talked about him and the next clown we're going to talk about as well on our circus series that we did, which if you haven't listened to, you should because it was it's wonderful. <laughs> and that's not just me speaking. We've heard from a lot of people. They've enjoyed <laughs> we're it. not we're not biased at all. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't start out as a clown, and Weary Willie actually started as a cartoon character he drew. His work with the circus started as a trapeze artist, and then in 1923, he brought Weary Willie to life as a clown act. One of his favorite things to do was to sweep the spotlight away and then get surprised when it appeared again. And I've watched so many clowns through the years do this. (laughs) Yes. Including the ones that open up for Cirque du Soleil that, you know, kind of get the audience warmed up. I've watched them do it, too. He worked for numerous circuses. He joined Ringling Brothers in 1942 and stayed with them until the late 1950s. He would star in a couple of films as well. He died in 1979 of a heart attack while taking out the garbage, and we're sure he could have found some great comic use for that. I would imagine. Kelly was a hero. He helped to save people during the Hartford Circus Fire and was featured in a picture in Life magazine about the tragedy as he was running with a bucket of water. 
This was one of the few times people saw him cry. Next, we have Lou Jacobs, who was probably the most famous clown to work with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey, and is the one our listeners are probably most familiar with, as he was used in lots of marketing and appeared on a 1966 U.S. postage stamp. Jacobs was a German immigrant. He played the part of a clown for 62 years, and 60 of them were spent with the Ringling Circus. His parents had a song and dance act, and he got into gymnastics as a child, which led him into barrel jumping and contortionism. That always creeps me out. <laughs> I just don't know how people do that with their bodies. And I've got some double-jointed fingers, but it doesn't bother me to see it on myself, but watching other people, ah! Well, you know, it creeps me out when you do that. My mom has double-jointed thumbs, and she could pop them around, and I'm just like, ah, don't do that, eee. Jacobs came to America in 1923, and he found work as an acrobat. He started working for The Greatest Show on Earth in 1925, and it was there that he moved into clowning. He modeled his clown makeup on Europe's greatest circus stars, the Fratellinis, three brothers who worked mostly in France from the 1900s to the 1920s. Rather than whiteface, they used a flesh-colored base. Jacobs had many gags, including not only his two-foot-by-three-foot small car, which I actually got inside of and got my picture of. <laughs> I was just going to say that. You can find that if you scroll back through our Instagram for a couple of years, you'll see it there. <laughs> but also a self-propelled bathtub and a couple of little dogs. I like the bathtub thing, too. That's so funny. <laughs> he wore a costume that was a pink and lavender checked suit with 12-inch collars. And his shoes were really big. He married ringling showgirl Jean Rockwell. And they had two daughters, Luann and Dolly. Jacobs retired in 1985 when he was 82 years old. That is a long time to be a clown. It sure is. Although he continued to teach at Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Clown College. In 1987, he received a Lifetime Achievement Award on behalf of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus. He died of heart failure on September 13, 1992 in Sarasota, Florida at the age of 89. Kelly, did you ever watch Bozo the Clown? But of course. <laughs> Alan W. Livingston created Bozo the Clown in 1946 as part of a storytelling record album for children. Bozo soon was so popular that he became the mascot for Capitol Records. He got his first TV show in 1949 and was portrayed by Pinto Kolvik. Bozo wore a blue and red costume, oversized red hair that stuck out on the sides of his bald head, and white face clown makeup with the standard large eyebrows and red lips and the big red nose. The hair was actually yak hair that was heavily lacquered. Oh my, I never knew that. <laughs> Rather than being a syndicated show, Bozo was a franchise. So different markets had their own portrayal of Bozo. So this is like having your local horror host. This was like your local Bozo the Clown. I had no idea. I had no idea either till I researched this. So some of the Bozo the Clowns that people saw... Were different people. Would look a little bit different, too. I mean, they all kind of had similar looks, but they did wear different clothes and things. And they had this, like, standard, I guess you'd call it, like, skull cap with the yak hair heavily right. lacquered. So they all had kind of that same look. And I guess they just mass-produced it for everybody. That's too funny. And here's another really fun thing that I didn't know. A lot of our younger listeners may not remember Willard Scott, but some of our older people will. And I remember he used to do the Smuckers age thing on the Today Show all the time. Well, anyway, Willard Scott was Washington, D.C.'s bozo for three years. 
Yeah, I that was another <laughs> detail I had no idea yeah. about. Other TV clowns were inspired by Bozo, like the one that I grew up with in Denver, Colorado, Blinky the Clown. Blinky was portrayed by Russell Scott, who has the distinction of holding the record as longest-running television clown in history, performing as Blinky for 41 years. So my entire childhood, I had Blinky the Clown. It was always the same guy. Yeah. (laughs) Blinky was more of a tramp clown, so he looked a lot like Emmett Kelly. He lived a long life and died at the age of 91 in 2012. Ronald McDonald was also inspired by Bozo, and he made his first appearance in 1963. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. And next up, we have Captain Spaulding from House of a Thousand Corpses by Rob Zombie. Captain Spaulding was portrayed by the incomparable Sid Haig. This character was the owner of a gas station and roadside haunted attraction. The role was reprised in Zombie's sequel, The Devil's Rejects, and Three from Hell. Spaulding wears smeared grease paint on his face with white face paint, red cheeks, blue eyeshadow, and black lips. He also had a beard and mustache. The Joker. Yeah, he's definitely a clown too. He's a supervillain in the DC comic universe with his main foe being Batman. He made his first appearance in 1940 and was created by Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and Jerry Robinson. The most common backstory for the Joker is that he fell into a tank of chemical waste and this bleached his skin white and turned his hair green and his lips bright red. Thus, his appearance is that of a clown and this drove him insane, leaving him with a sadistic sense of humor and he becomes a psychopathic killer. The design of the Joker was inspired by Conrad Veed's character Gwynplaine in the 1928 movie, The Man Who Laughs. Have you ever seen the guy who starred in that? I don't believe I have. Actually, I have. (laughs) Well, you you had to show me the picture, but then I remembered him. (laughs) Yeah, if you guys Google The Man Who Laughs movie and look at images to go with it, you could totally see how they got the Joker from this guy. I mean, he is just a mouthful of teeth. Very, very creepy looking. Has that whole Glasgow kind of smile, scar tissue going up to his ears. Exactly. The character jumped from the comic book pages to television and the movies, with Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix both giving iconic portrayals of the character, performances that earned each Oscars. We haven't seen the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix yet. We need to see that. I agree. But I loved Heath Ledger's portrayal. He did such a great job because I've never seen him as like a maniacal type person. And boy, did he come across crazy. It was very good. Pennywise is the villain in Stephen King's 1986 horror novel, It. Pennywise is a shapeshifter with his main presentation being a clown, which is the way he lures children into his traps. It's unclear what Pennywise really is, but whatever he is, it's something ancient and evil. He wears white face paint with a red nose and red lips. Tim Curry portrayed him in a colorful outfit with bright red hair around a skull cap in the television adaptation of the novel. The 2017 and 2019 films featured Swedish actor Bill Skarsgård playing Pennywise. And he wore a white outfit with very distinct face paint, which was mostly white broken by red lips with the corners of the mouth continuing up the face all the way to the forehead, bisecting the eyes. His eyes were a creepy translucent yellow. Pennywise has been deemed one of the scariest clowns in film and pop culture. And The Atlantic wrote of him, 
The scariest thing about Pennywise, though, is how he preys on children's deepest fears, manifesting the monsters they're most petrified by. I know Pennywise has always done it for me, pretty much. He is creepy, creepy. Kelly, have you ever seen killer clowns from outer space? (laughs) Indeed, I have. Here. Why now? Why clowns? (laughs) They've been knocking them dead all over the universe. Killer clowns from space. This is a cult classic, and I think it's a pretty fun movie. I happened upon it one day. I'm switching through channels, and the costumes immediately caught my attention. I'm like, what is this? And I see the title, and I'm like, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Okay, this sounds like it's got to be clearly a cult classic, because I knew it was older. And what could possibly be the premise here? This has got to be a crazy movie. The characters were as outlandish as the movie title. And these clowns weren't humans dressed up in clown costumes. These were aliens. So they literally were from outer space. They crashed to Earth during Halley's Comet and ravaged a nearby town, killing people and drinking their blood for sustenance. Yummy. Kelly, you do that sound effect a bit too well. Creeps me out all the time. The movie was written, produced, and directed by the Kyoto Brothers and came out in 1988. The macabre humor and circus theming make this a definite must-see, and the clowns look creepy as hell. It was wildly successful, costing $1.8 million to make and earning $43 million at the box office. Cha-ching! That did pretty darn well. So as Diane said, for her, the clown in the 1986 Poltergeist movie was the scariest. This clown doll went from just being your typical child's toy to a sinister strangling machine with arms and legs that grew in length, and the pleasant countenance morphed into a maniacal grin and scowl. The doll from the movie just sold in June of 2023 for, get this, Diane, $650,000. Over half a million dollars. Somebody wants that in their home. They not only (laughs) want it in their home, they paid that kind of money for it. Put it in a glass case. Surround it with salt and sage it. (laughs) I mean, that is not coming in my house. I don't even care. See, part of my problem is Poltergeist is one of those cursed movies they talk about, you know? And I mean, it's got some weird stuff connected to it. This is true. Maybe because they had real skeletons that they used in it. But I'm like, I do not want that thing in here. I remember seeing that movie as a kid, and that was one of the nightmarish things that sticks with you. It already kind of looked creepy as just the regular clown doll. Y'all should see Diane's face and how emphatic she's being. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm really bothered of her. This clown. <laughs> He's like under the bed and it like gets under the bed. With, it's just like pulling him and trying to. Oh, it's just awful. Yeah. So anyway, definitely that clown is out for me. <laughs> Kelly. Do you hear the sound of a tricycle in the distance? Oh, look, it's Billy. Uh Uh-oh. That is the name of the clown from the Saw movies, because he is a clown, too. I don't know that people always necessarily equate him to being a clown, but he is technically a mechanical ventriloquist puppet, but he has all the markings of a clown with the white face paint, red lips, those red spirals that are painted on his cheeks, and a skull cap with messy hair. 
Yeah, I can't. I can't watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Billy was used by John Kramer, who is the jigsaw killer, to inform the victims of his deadly games about the rules and instructions they had to follow in order to survive. I never thought I could do them. And then I saw the first one. I I just part of my problem is I don't like gore. But the premise behind it is amazing because it's like, what would you do to survive? I know. Next, we have Twisty the Clown from American Horror Story Freak Show, which is my favorite season. I was just going to say, your favorite. (laughs) Because it's Freak Show. It's not necessarily the best written. I know I've got people hollering that the first two seasons are better. Coven, everybody loves. But Freak Show's my jam because I love Freak Show. So, (laughs) Well, Twisty started off as a Piero clown who took great joy in entertaining children. And then something just snapped for him and he became delusional committing atrocities without much awareness for what he was doing the backstory for him had his mother dropping him on his head which couldn't have helped matters (laughs) no and you know they've found through science that a lot of serial killers have had some kind of severe head damage this is true head trauma yeah twisty's appearance is quite hideous because he tried to commit suicide with a gun and ended up disfiguring his face Now he wears a partial mask that seems to have become part of his face and features a broad grin. There are also scars all over his face, and he wears a skull cap that seems to have come from one of his victims. So it's really attractive. Yeah, I mean, you can see the outline of the skin. It's like he scalps somebody and wears it. He wears a dirty clown suit and carries a sack that holds his juggling pins. Very, very creepy character. Hideous looking. (laughs) Kelly, you and I went to a horror convention with uh, Bailey, our listener and friend. We did. And this was the first time we'd heard about this movie called Terrifier, which is now a franchise. Which people are probably yelling at their <laughs> yelling at their headphones again. <laughs> How do you not know about this guy? <laughs> I know. And Art the Clown is the main antagonist in this movie. And it's fitting to have Art on this list for Halloween, not only because he is a terrifying clown, but because his feature film debut was in the 2013 movie All Hallows Eve. The clown first appeared in a couple of short films before launching into four Terrifier films. It was created by writer-director Damien Leone. Art wears white face with arched and thin eyebrows and overdrawn black lips. He is bald and his costume is black and white. Art is always covered in blood as he is a mass murderer who likes to use weapons like a hacksaw, cleaver, and cat of nine tails. This clown is a thoroughly unpleasant one. (laughs) And he is terrifying as well. So I could see why they called it Terrifier. Next up, Kelly, we have a very real killer clown. This is Pogo, or as most people know him, John Wayne Gacy. Fictional clowns are bad enough. So imagine having a real clown that is a serial killer. Most of you listeners are probably pretty familiar with Pogo the Clown, who was a character created by serial killer John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy was born in 1942 and was thought of by many people to be a friendly man. He seemed to love children and would frequently dress up as a clown he named Pogo and host parties for his entire neighborhood. Pogo wore white face and had overly large red lips and blue paint around his eyes. He wore a standard clown costume that was red on one half and red and white striped on the other. He also wore a pointed hat with several large puffballs on it. The first chinks in Gacy's reputation came in 1964 when he was found guilty of sodomizing two young boys and spent 18 months in prison. 
His wife divorced him, and he relocated to Chicago, where he founded a construction business. This became a way for him to recruit young men to help him. Gacy remarried, but it was more than likely a cover for his predilection for young men. In July of 1975, one of the young men who worked for him disappeared, and his parents asked the police to investigate Gacy. The pleas were not heeded. Gacy and his second wife divorced, and this set him on a reckless course of murder. He would invite young men to his house and then pretend that he was going to show them a magic trick using handcuffs. The trick was that he was going to lock the boy to the bed and rape and sodomize him before strangling him. The bodies were then buried in the crawl space of Gacy's home. One young man escaped from Gacy in 1977 and went to the police, but they didn't follow up on the report. The police did finally investigate Gacy after a 15-year-old boy who had gone to Gacy's home looking to get hired disappeared. The investigation found a class ring and clothes that wouldn't fit Gacy. A witness came forward and said that Gacy had admitted that he had killed 30 boys. The police found 29 bodies at Gacy's house, but it's believed that he killed at least 33 people. Gacy was arrested and tried to plead insanity, but he was found guilty and sentenced to die, which occurred on May 10, 1994, via lethal injection. Kelly, do you remember in 2016 when all of a sudden there were all those reports of people seeing clowns everywhere? <laughs> I do. I'm sure many of our listeners remember this, too. There was a spate of clown sightings in various places around the world. They began as early as 2003 in Northampton, England, with the sighting of a creepy clown in the months of September and October. It was eventually found that three filmmakers named Alex Powell, Elliot Simpson, and Luke Ubansky were behind the clown, and they'd used it to drive traffic to their Facebook page. But something had been started. A YouTuber started dressing as an evil clown in 2014 and pranking people, and then he posted the videos, which got millions of views. That same year, the Wasco clown started showing up in Wasco, California. This was in October of 2014. Armed clowns terrified these residents in Wasco and Bakersfield. The sightings began after a Wasco couple posted photos of themselves in creepy clown costumes as part of a year-long art project, but the photos went viral and then copycats started dressing up doing the same thing. Bakersfield Police Watch Commander Lieutenant Jason Matson said that they'd seen sightings all over the city. They range anywhere from a guy carrying a gun to a guy carrying a knife running up to houses. One teen was arrested for chasing a minor while dressed as a clown, but no other pranksters who had done this were caught. In 2015, a clown was videoed at night in the Rose Hill Cemetery in Chicago. A proliferation of videos started making the rounds, which increased in 2016. These clown sightings were in lots of different locations. Some were in forests, while others were in city areas. A mass hysteria started to develop as sightings were reported in many cities in the United States, in nine Canadian provinces, and 18 other countries like Britain and Australia. Reports out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, turned out to be a marketing ploy for a horror movie. While this kind of sighting could be fun, stories coming out of South Carolina were scary. These seemed to be clowns trying to lure children into the woods by offering money. A clown in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, offered candy to children and ran when police showed up. A 16-year-old boy was stabbed to death in Pennsylvania by what was at first reported as someone wearing a clown mask, but later it was found that the victim was wearing the mask. Over time, 12 arrests were made and even McDonald's decided to pull back Ronald McDonald for a while. 
That Halloween in 2016 had some Floridians packing heat while trick-or-treating. Several countries started pulling clown costumes from store shelves, and Target stores pulled clown masks from its websites and stores. News outlets started warning people in October of 2016 of alleged attacks by clowns on Halloween that year. The report said that these were going to be purge-like attacks. There was only one attack that actually materialized on Halloween in Florida when a family was attacked by a group of approximately 20 people in clown masks. Nobody was arrested. The 2016 incidents came to be known as the Great Clown Panic of 2016 and were chalked up to mass hysteria. Clowns are meant to be fun, but there's always that piece of them that exudes mischief. That side of mischief causes some to think of clowns as impish. Add in real-life stories of homicidal clowns and then a dash of the fictional malevolent clown, and you have a recipe for clown fear. Are clowns really something to fear? That is for you to decide. For me, it depends upon the clown. (laughs) I'm sure we will see a few at our house this evening. Hopefully you guys will see a few clowns too and that none of them are malevolent in nature. They're just little... Or homicidal. (laughs) They're just little kids looking for some candy, man. Make sure you give it to them. Did you get that candy? Yes, I got got it. Don't say it a third time or we're in trouble. (laughs) We heard from one of our listeners, Jared. He said, as I mentioned in my comment on the website, I've had more than a few experiences. To start, I grew up in a more or less haunted house. My mom used to tell me I had a guardian angel because she'd always find me alone, babbling along to someone or something in full baby talk, having what seemed like full conversations to someone that she couldn't see. Growing up, my sister and I shared a room for a while. Every once in a while, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and just feel a presence in our room and it was not a pleasant entity. I never saw anything, but mostly because when I felt it, I always had this voice in my head tell me, no matter what, do not look over in that corner. So I didn't. I'd grab my teddy, roll over facing the other direction, snuggle in my blankets, making darn sure I was covered, and squeeze my eyes shut until it went away. On different occasions, my sister, mother, and father all saw the same apparition of a tall man in what they described was Quaker clothing, black jacket, wide-brimmed hat. I can't verify that as I never personally saw him, but my sister saw him and told me about him. We never told my parents, but one day I heard them arguing about the, quote, man at the end of their bed, and I was shocked. I told my mom about what my sister saw, and her advice was, ghosts can't hurt you, just scare you. He probably wants something, and we'll just have to wait to see if he asks. He never did, but I think that was because when I was around 13 or so, we renovated the house. I distinctly remember the night I slept alone in my new room for the first time. We had stripped it down to the bare boards in preparation for the renovations. So there was just my bed in the middle of an empty room, empty walls, etc. The rest of the house was just being finished up, so it was just our bedrooms that needed to be started. I'm settling into bed and all of a sudden, clear as a bell, I hear a loud whisper right next to me say, Goodbye! After that, nobody had any more experiences in that house. I guess they made him angry about the renovations, and he said, well, I'm out. There was also a storm cellar with the door in one of the closets, and I would never walk past that door. I'd take the long way through the house to get to the other side if I needed to. Couldn't explain why. You probably felt something, Jared, I imagine. Outside was a different story. One day I was sitting in my living room, which had a big window that overlooked our backyard. We lived in a rural area, so our backyard was surrounded by woods on two sides, a neighbor on the other, and the highway at the front. I was only about 13 or so, so drugs, alcohol, etc. was not an excuse, lol. 
I didn't have the TV on or anything. I looked out the window and I kid you not, I see this little goat man standing in my yard close to the trees. He looks right at me, seems to laugh, does a little dance and waves something in his hand at me, then turns and runs into the woods. That is not creepy at all. I stared for a bit, even went outside to see if I could see tracks or something. Nope. I didn't learn until a few years later when I read the Narnia books that what I had seen was a satyr, and he was waving a pan flute around. Wow, that is weird. But as I say, it's those kinds of things that I actually believe more than ghosts. To this day, I still have no explanation for that, nor have I ever seen anything like that again. Before I started high school, my grandparents took me on a trip to New Brunswick to meet some extended family. We live in Ontario. My uncle lived in a beautiful old house. It being summer, I chose to sleep in the sunroom. It had a bed at the far end, a little table for playing cards, and a rocking chair for reading. On this trip, I met a relative by the name of Jean. She was in her 60s or 70s and was just the sweetest. I liked her immediately. She didn't live there. She'd come from about an hour away to meet us, so my uncle drove her home after dinner. That night, I'm in bed reading. The lights were all off except my reading light, the kind that just clips to your book. As I'm reading, I hear a creaking followed by a little thump. You know, the sound of a wooden rocking chair slowly rocking. I look over across the room, and there's Jean rocking back and forth. I was surprised as I thought she'd gone home. So I said hi and asked if she was okay. Her mouth was moving, but no sound came out. I turned to click on the bedside lamp so I could see her better, but when I did... She disappeared. I stared at that rocking chair for a minute, still slowly rocking, before I ran to my grandparents' room. I did not tell them what I saw, but did ask Grandpa to come sit with me until I fell asleep. Jean came back that day, so I knew she was okay. When I spoke to my mom on the phone later, I told her, and she said that something was possibly going to happen to Jean, and her spirit was reaching out to me. Later that year, Jean was diagnosed with cancer. And unfortunately, I did not get to visit her again before she passed. Oh, Jared, feels kind of like you have premonitions there. Growing up, my best friend was my dog, (laughs) Scooby-Doo. I love that name. He was a very unique dog, a mixed breed with very distinct characteristics. Also, due to an accident, he only had three legs. He passed when he was 14 years old and I was heartbroken. I still miss him and I'm in my 40s now. Anyway, not long after he passed, I worked as a cleaner at a cottage resort. One day I'm cleaning this cottage, music blasting in my headphones, and I look up and I swear Scooby is standing at the open front door. Again, as I said, he was very distinctive and I've never seen another dog that looks like him. But there he was, standing there, three legs and all, looking at me with his goofy doggy grin. Then he turned and ran. I followed, but he disappeared. Despite my experiences, I'm a logical person, and I, of course, looked around to see if there were any dogs on the property just to be sure. None. I know in my heart, Scoop came to say one last goodbye and to let me know that he was safe and happy wherever he went. When I was in my 20s, I shared an apartment with a friend in an old building. Randomly, our stuff would go missing, and we'd look everywhere for it just to find it exactly where it was supposed to be the next day. That was annoying, but no big deal. We were also really bad for not putting things away when we were finished with them. Well, I started to notice and started to purposely leave things on the counter, like cleaning supplies, knowing my roomie wouldn't be home. I'd leave the room or go to bed, come back, and the stuff would be put back where it belonged. I started thanking whoever it was for keeping my place tidy. Once I started doing that, it was only my roomie stuff that would go missing. I guess being thankful means you don't get teased. 
And now I've saved my favorite experience for last. A relative had passed away, leaving my family or house with all of her belongings in it. She was the sweetest little old lady. My grandparents asked me to move into the house to kind of take care of it until they figured out what they were going to do with it. It was a huge house, one of the first built in the area. It had multiple levels, an old pantry, the attic was just amazing, and many, many bedrooms. When she was still alive, Merle, the relative that had passed, loved telling me stories of the house, the many people that had passed through, and how her family had owned it for decades. She told me her parents' rules about no loud music, no parties, and absolutely no smoking. So when I moved in, I got the sense that out of respect, I'd still follow those rules. I had a friend come stay with me for a few days, and she chose the biggest bedroom to stay in. This bedroom also had the door to the attic located there. So one night, she starts calling for me, and she sounded upset. I run across to her room, and I open the door to see her in the middle of the bed, covers pulled up to her chin, her face as white as a sheet. I look over to the window, which had one of those pull-up blinds, and as I look over, the whole blind lifts up and flies across the room to land right on her on the bed. There's no way that just pops off and does that. She's practically in tears, and I stand there staring. All of a sudden, the doorknob to the door to the attic starts turning, like someone's on the other side trying to open the door. I look at my friend, and the thought just pops into my head, and I say, You were smoking in the house, weren't you? Apparently, she had snuck up to the attic to have a smoke, thinking I'd never know, and she'd hide the evidence later. Well, someone didn't like that she broke the house rules. Unfortunately, my family decided to renovate and sell that house, but man, I loved it. I also always see shadow entities depending on where I am. Sometimes it's through a window to the point where I think someone is there when there isn't when I look. Sometimes it's in the room with me when I'm watching TV, reading, or whatever. I catch a glimpse out of the corner of my eye, but when I look, nothing's there. I do believe in ghosts or spirits as I've seen them and had experiences. However, I do remain a skeptic. (laughs) Oh, I love you, Jared. You're just like us. Even though I've felt things and had things happen, I still tell people I'm an open-minded skeptic and you've had some amazing experiences and you're still a skeptic. I know that a good chunk of the stories out there are just stories or overactive imaginations or that sometimes weird things happen, but there are explanations. But sometimes there are no other explanations. I'm also not afraid of them. I know you say on your show a lot that you don't understand how people can experience something and then just roll over and go back to sleep. But in my experience, ghosts don't really want to hurt you. They're just curious and want to pass along a message. So other than the startle factor, there's no reason to run. And you've probably, as you continue to listen, Jared, I know he's a fairly new listener. You'll see that we've gotten to a point where even after having the experiences we've had, it actually has made us less afraid because you realize they're not here to hurt you. My family was always super religious. However, I'm not. I've looked into all religions as well as mythologies. And my personal opinion is that there's definitely an afterlife of some kind. Whether that's heaven or something like the Elysian Fields or just another plane of existence, I couldn't say. But there's definitely something waiting for us on the other side. Thanks so much for sharing those stories with us, Jared. Hope you guys have a great time, whatever you do with your Halloween, whether you go out trick-or-treating with your kids, you go out trick-or-treating for yourself, You just hand out to trick-or-treaters or you barricade in your home and watch horror movies all evening. Whatever you do, we wish you the best. Happy Happy Halloween. Halloween!
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.